Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life to discuss their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Graham Waltrip. As always, our show is presented by Mudsack, the only asset management and collaboration tool custom-built for game studios and digital artists. For more information, check out mudstack.com. Today, we're talking with Ryan Galini, head of Dillo Interactive. You could probably describe him as a human Swiss army knife in terms of being a developer. He can do art, he can design, he can program, and a whole lot more. Ryan takes us behind the scenes of being an indie dev and his latest project, The Four Money Bears, Berryville, a farming simulator targeted at elementary school students to teach them the value of financial literacy. Never thought you'd hear that, did you? Bears teaching kids how to manage their finances. It's a really interesting project. It's a really cool interview. We hope you enjoy it. I'll see you after the show to wrap things up. Okay, so Ryan, what would you say, given what you're working on right now, what would you say is like a really big key in terms of like forming relationships with people in the hopes of like working with them on a project? Like I know you're working right now on your game, the Berryville game, the Four Money Bears uh, in Berryville with, with a business partner. I was just wondering what's, what was kind of the key to starting that relationship and if you can give people advice in terms of like just forming a network, right? Forming relationships because you never know what's going to happen in the future, what projects you could work on together. From our standpoint, from my standpoint, I think I spent probably six years looking for a good developer that was like-minded, especially for a co-founder, right? Co-founder, developer, or at least partner, you know, partner in crime in a sense. You really want to have, I wouldn't say the same values, but you need to have like the yin and yang. So... As for my developers, not as social, he's, you know, very development minded. I'm the uh, opposite, crazy, you know, eccentric artist type. Uh, So we we meshed well, really, really well together. Um, But all the other relationships that are involved in starting a studio is is a challenge. You know, the, the difference between development and artists are two different sides of the brain. So... I would say, you know, friendships and, and working on other projects together go a lot further. Um, one other thing, too, is a lot of people are just scared to really have ideas. And every one thing people kept saying to me was like, oh, you, you better patent that idea before you you know use it because someone's going to steal it from you. And it, it's such a ridiculous concept that a lot it, it kind of people stop and fear doing a project sometimes because of that, where I did the opposite. I was like, let's do as many as we can. Let's just go with it. Let's, you know, try and fail. Uh, if you're really looking for partners, I think, you know, find someone you can fail with and, and not only fail, but fail forward. That's a really uh, important approach because um, you will fail uh, 99% of the time. And that 1% is, you know, some people get lucky, <laughs> but not always. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things too. Where it's, it's, I think that's really sound advice. And it's one of those things too where it's like, you're, you're exactly right. You're going to fail way more than you succeed. Um, and if you know you only try a couple of things, or you know fear holds you back, or you're worried about someone stealing your stuff, or, or whatever, right? It's just more excuses to not really you know, trying to deliver on something, trying to accomplish something. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think to that point, too, 
some people are doers and some people are just ideas and dreamers and that's as far as they really can go. It's really important for yourself to not be a dreamer and be a doer. You can have as many great ideas, but that doesn't mean the idea is actually good. Until you do it, you don't know what the idea is, right? Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't always know you were going to get into into game design, right? No, no. I started out. I'm a. I'm one of those like ADHD, jack of all trades, master of none type. Uh, I wanted to be a painter in school, and I realized that I didn't want. I didn't have the money to be a painter. You got to be really rich to even just get into the art market. So much money spent on supplies. Just not only supplies, but social media. And that actually, that's kind of where I've always been into marketing. It doesn't really play too much into game design. I've always been interested in just design, whether it's user experience, um, later game design. I was working at a casino for a while doing motion graphics. um, And that actually really kind of invigorated the creation of it. I guess I've always, my, my parents are always engineers. So like I have this engineering mindset of like dissecting something and that just kind of, I need, I need passion. I don't, from, from an artist standpoint, I need passion of things I'm enjoying. So I didn't start doing game design for a business. I did that just for fun. So I was just making games, small things, not, you know, teaching myself C sharp. Unity is a great platform just the single user can pick up a pre-made project and just, I just dissected the hell out of those things. And that really got me to the level of confidence and understanding that I knew I needed more experts. And that that's, as I started talking to more experts and people and got more and more into it, I realized no one wants to hire outside the industry when you don't have a ton of experience, which is understandable. I do the same with motion designers. Uh, but also, I don't really like to work for people on passion. Like, it's so much better to keep it as myself. So the game design side is, I'd say, what I'm always passionate about. Every time I play a game now, I just does, I literally dissect the whole thing. I don't even think about the game anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, what are the mechanics behind this? Where's that where's that design loop? <laughs> and that kind of that that's where it brought me. Uh I kind of get bored of it too, so that's why I love running an indie studio because then I can jump back into marketing. Then I can go work on audio, then I can go do the 10,000 other things that are involved in actually making a game. Um so and but my developer will not let me do the code anymore which is a smart move. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did, uh, what were like a couple of things that you really picked up during your time, uh, as an admin that have sort of continued to translate to, to what you're working on now? Just understanding big picture stuff and, and taking a project, you know, from the start to finish that that's my, that kind of grew me into the project manager I am today. Um, cause it does take a lot, especially for a creative person. A lot of creative people are emotional, uh, especially me, you know, it's, you get passionate about something and, and you can't let go. Uh, that's one of the big things from, from a work standpoint. The other stuff is I started working in, in financial technology and that was really challenging coming from an art background. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, 
There's a lot of words in financial technology, especially uh, you know, for financial advisors, that I had no idea about. So I was forced to take scripts and, and concepts that were so high level that I had to actually research it. And it really brought out a passion of financial literacy to me, uh, which is really weird that I would normally say, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said that never would have happened. But I guess being business minded, everyone has a little piece of that, right? Uh, so that kind of laid into why we're working on Berryville in general. I uh, met a good financial planner, super awesome guy named Matt Gardner. Uh, he wrote a kid's book and we discussed, you know, financial literacy for kids and what the importance of it. It's probably seven years ago now, eight years ago. I, I don't know. I feel like me and Max say between 10 and eight years, we don't really know. Uh, we started talking and, and I think, you know, that, that is one thing that, that even from a passion standpoint, we started this Berryville project from a true trying to change the world standpoint that to me, I mean, it almost brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. Like I would love to change the world by having kids learn financial literacy at fourth grade and being able to break the cycle of, of repetitive poverty that they're stuck in just due to their parents not understanding how to take care of their finances. Uh, and, and the other aspect of that would be the teaching, right? If kids can learn how to teach themselves, then they won't need to, to expect others to help them out. They'll be able to learn themselves, teach it to themselves. So uh, that's another aspect I think I took away from art school because the art school I went to, they didn't teach you as much of how to do the thing. They taught you how to critique it. So I, I learned mm -hmm. how to do that, right? And that, that's kind of how I build up to a senior level in, in ad, for ad space, right? Uh, because I can just do it. And if I can't do it, I'll figure it out, right? And I have the confidence to do that because I like to fail forward. Uh, a lot of people don't. They're really scared. You know, we already talked about that. It's the fear of failing is uh it literally keeps half the population down i would assume because i like failing personally <laughs> i don't know why uh it's some weird habit of mine if when i fail on something i'm like man i did that wrong everyone else might think it's perfect i'm like this is not what i wanted i need to redo all of it again mm -hmm. right uh so i feel like i went on a tangent there <laughs> i don't know no no it's fine i think uh well, I think that's a way to keep you motivated, right? If you think you did it wrong, it just inspires you to try to get it right the next time you, you try and do something. You know, my, uh, my wife would tell you that if you try to tell me that I can't do something, <laughs> I will get it done and I will do it. It may not be perfect, but I, I'm going to do it. Like it is my, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's ego but it's ego, right? Like it's not a hundred percent my ego. It's just, I have confidence that I can do it. Uh, and I actually want to do it, right? Like I like when there's a challenge, I like the hardest challenge. Uh, but you know, that's, it's a little different than game design or is a little different than a studio, right? Like you should never start a game studio to just solve the craziest challenge. If you're going from a game studio, from a business standpoint, you really need to be a project manager and understand what can you achieve in this realistic timeline with this realistic budget and this tiny team, right? Uh, 
And I think that's the difference in, you know, dreaming and doing again, right? So you have to balance those two things. You need to understand what are your limitations. And without knowing and failing, you won't know your limitations, really. Uh, and coming back and balancing those, all those. Uh, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, game development is a balance. I think everything in life is balance, but especially running a business. It's balance of uh, art, art, design, and timeline and budget. But, you know, yeah. the art, I feel like the art costs the most. Because if you already know the design, the game design, you already know what the development needs to be in it. The art takes forever just because you need a ton of it to really stand out today, in today's market at least. Uh, I guess I could be wrong on that, but I I like to stand out. So (laughs) I usually put more of our efforts into that. Uh, That's one of those things, right? When you're looking uh, for games, and you've made a lot of like mobile games and stuff like that. I mean, when you're going through those, those stores, right? Like the first thing that pops out to me when I'm looking for something there is like mm-hmm. the art style. It's the old judge a book by its cover. You hate that that's kind of true, but you know, if the art sucks or it doesn't do anything to catch my, capture my attention, I'm, I just kind of move on, which is unfair because it might be a great game, but you know, I, there's so much out there and uh, we all have such, <laughs> A lot of us have such short attention spans and you want, you know, instant gratification yeah. and all that. It's just kind of like something's got to capture your attention. If it doesn't, then, you know, what, what how are you going to appeal? Yeah, to well, you know, that comes back to the marketing side, too. I think, you know, if your logo, if you're first, if your name isn't isn't uh, solid and by solid, I mean, recognizable, it has to be recognizable. There's a lot of like uh, clones of other games. You could just take any game, honestly, and just find one that has clones. And the names, the, the clones' names will be very generic because they didn't take the time, in my mind, to come up with something that's completely different of a name. And that's really recognizable for the brand. But, I mean, in games, your, your games don't have to be recognizable for your game, for your company brand, but it's more important about the game brand. And if that one icon just doesn't look good or at least what everyone else's standard is, which is kind of the other problem in society that today is like everyone wants to look like each other. But you have to like, not kind of just stand out, but stand out in a way that people accept it. I mean, think about like, if you go on the app store right now, even though something stands out, it looks really good. It probably looks like 10 other games because you're familiar with it, right? right? And that's the problem with art. Mm -hmm. There's that classic saying like, when you make art, if you made something that's completely original and weird, usually it's like weird, right? When it's original, not, not many people like it because there's no connection to them, right? So you have to balance that like mm-hmm. <laughs> weirdness for <laughs> just go out on a limb a little bit. Don't go out 100%. Be like 90% what everyone's used to, 10% weird. And I think that personally is a solid game choice for the Joe Schmo on the street, um, that's usually, I, I feel like that's what success is for, for selling games. Uh, but who knows at this point, some people are different, right? Somehow some games just some out of the blue will come out and make a ton of money and everyone loves it. And it's the weirdest game ever made. Right. So, uh, following the ad system is kind of how I, I base it. Right. Ad system is either <laughs> close your eyes, throw a million th- things in the dark and hope it sticks or follow what's been done before, but in a new way. Uh, it's kind of a good way of looking at it. When you started Dillo, 
your your company now what was your sort of mo there like you were were you trying to make like a bunch of games really fast or were you just trying to get your you know your feet wet and then figure it out as you went along like what, what was your what was your plan there you run a studio that was a solo dev with some very few contractors, usually audio, um, a little bit of, of coding help. And uh, I was meeting with you know co-founder Evan, and we were. He comes from a, from a background like professional game dev background, which is that helps a ton, right? I'm not gonna lie that that is you know the reason why we can even publish games as quickly as we do. But at the beginning, we didn't want to. We just wanted to push games out there, so that we could have the correct systems built to make other games. Um, when you're a two-person team and you're both working full-time jobs, like we were, it is a huge challenge to commit to a deadline. First of all, <laughs> it's almost impossible. So you want to give yourselves six months. I would say minimum. Uh, if you say six months, that has to be a hard deadline. So if you come up on that and you realize, oh, it's going to be a month delay, then what? You know, you should feel bad about that because, you know, you missed the deadline, right? If you can't take personal accountability for it, it's going to be hard to do business. The whole point of our game was let's launch as fast as we can, as quickly as we can, with decent artwork, but just to get it out there because going from point A to point B, like actually launching a game that works in the app store is hard, especially for a two person team. And you're, you know, not developing or not, excuse me, not developing your, you're not devoting your entire time to it either. If you have, if you have a day job. No, so. yeah, we were doing, you know, probably four hours nights. I was definitely working more at the beginning. I always work more at the beginning because I get excited about an idea. So I try to plan the entire game around that. Evan will usually sit there and start researching things that we can do that we'll need to build that are more agile systems. Uh, let's just say a chat feature. That's one thing we're trying to work on right now. And it's like, all right, do we use a pre-made chat feature that we already know is going to be garbage and we're going to have to dissect it? Or do we just kind of make one on our own? Or you know, how much time do we have? There's a balance there. Um, and then it's like, all right, our goals in six months make sure you don't scope your project so large like it is scope what it, he Evan always calls it feature chasing that is what kills 99% of games even even triple A's you start feature chasing you're like oh I'm gonna add this we're gonna add this oh these monsters are gonna do this and then blah 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 and then all of a sudden you don't remember what your basic games design loop was you know it should just like you should take all these features throw them out do not do them have only do the original plan and stay like simple. Now, if you have 50 artists, great, go ahead and do your thing. But like, there's a, like I said, there's a balance here. If, if what is the most important thing to you? Is it that we have all these features of this game and it takes 20 years to do? Okay. Then let's hope in 20 years you make money, right? For us, we didn't do it like that. We wanted to build a system so that on paper, we now look like every year we've launched a game because we did right? So since inception, we've launched, okay, not, I will take this back. We didn't do it every year because we did pick up the four money bears halfway through the other year. We were on route to do one every year. I think last year was the first year we didn't launch a game, but we did launch a demo. And, you know, that I think alone, because that was actually contract work and a different deal, but that alone, you know, 
if we hadn't launched our games every year, we couldn't go to somebody and say, yeah, we can pick up a contract for you, right? Because now we can say, this is how we, Dillo operates. Um, and, and I try to stick to that, right? Like it's so easy to be a CEO of a company and say, ah, you know what? Let's push back a year. Who cares? Like it's easy to do because you know it could always be better. Uh, part of my soul hurts to do that as an artist, right? It's like you put all this mm-hmm. time into something and you're like, man, this could be 10 times better if I put another year in it. But then you realize, and I realized this early on, especially in motion graphics, everything could always be better. Like always. Like what is the MVP? What is that minimum viable product? That's why if you ever, even in regular tech space, what is the MVP? Make sure that's what you're shooting for and you're not feature chasing. That is the most important. That is the most important piece of advice I give to anyone. Do not feature chase. <laughs> Try to do it quick. Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's super important. Um, scope creep, feature chase, whatever yeah, you want to yeah, call scope it. Scope creep. I think that's probably it's, what he also called it. I could be calling it whatever. So I'm yeah, probably gonna catch flack. It's for the all devil. This. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the absolute devil because you're exactly right. Like um, you stray, you start straying from your core mechanics. You start thinking about the world you're building and all this stuff and all the things you can do with it. But then you have to look at is that practical? Yeah. Right. And with you as a two person team, adding a bunch of stuff to, you know, that, that goes beyond what you're trying to deliver. Yeah. Even though it could be cool. It's just It could result in just a, you know, a disaster in terms of like, you keep pushing that deadline out and then who knows when this thing will ever come out. Yeah. Right. So for sure. Yeah. I totally, totally get that. Uh, and then, you know what, the other thing that's funny is, is that, you know, the MVP word, um, you know, where I used to work, that was always a thing that kept getting changed. Always. Uh, worked at a company where it was like, we had an MVP idea, and then it was like, oh, you know what? Well, we, we, we have to add this or I won't be an MVP. And it always strayed from that original idea. So it's also like, yeah, have that, know what that is and really know what that is because that could get murky too in terms of what you're actually delivering. And then that could, you know, if your MVP starts changing, then yeah, then the scope creep, feature chasing it all just gets screwed up. Like you've got to be super committed to it. Yeah. You can't, you can't adjust it once you, once you have that, once you have that idea, if you're working on a tight time frame with a small team. I, I hate to say it like, uh, cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm also a problem of doing this. Like we always kind of say, Hey, we're like an agile company. And I got, it's such like a cringe word these days. Cause like, yeah. what the f- cause what? everybody says, that, Oh, we're an right? agile company, but like truly like we build our code and we, we, we set up product roadmaps. It's only three of us full time. And I set up, I think pre-production is the single-handedly most important thing, especially from an ad standpoint. Like you need, pre, you need storyboards, you need ideas. I bring that over to, to our game design. Like you have to have a ton. I lay out the entire UI and just flow charts before we even start a production. Because then when we talk about it, I'm probably going to forget what I was talking about a month ago. And I can always come back and say, hey, you know, honestly, this is what we were talking about two months ago. Let's go back to our original plan, right? Let's stop trying to do this. Let's add that to the roadmap and set up our Kanban board and, and put it at the bottom of the list. And maybe if we get to it, great, right? Uh, it, it is It is the hardest thing as an artist to do because you just want to make it great and you want to just work on that one idea and get that feeling of I made something great. And when you do a big project, those MVPs, you know, what, what is the quickest you can get out the door? It comes from a business side, right? Like you need to say, how can I quickly get this out the door as fast as possible and make money? 
So for Dillo, you know, to come back to your point of like why we even did it this way, kind of, you know, for Dillo, it's make these games that we did not want to make money on as fast as we can so that the normal... I want to say I listened to a GDC TED Talk kind of thing, right? I said TED Talk, what the hell? Uh, GDC Talk about, um, you know, how, especially for the mobile game space, someone said, and I can't remember who it was, but they were like, you need to make a game a year. A, A prototype needs to take three months. And if you're not going that fast, and if what you make is that fast and that good, then you're gonna fail because those prototypes are probably could lead to something great if you work, do it fast enough and then you know, ooh, let's put a little bit more time in this, then add the features to that prototype, right? So they're talking about like as quickly as possible, launch it, do as many things as you can. Most indie studios take two to three years at minimum to make one game. And this is always the cringe I see, like LinkedIn is super bad with this. It'll be like, Hey, trying to get in the game industry, come help us make this game. We'll give you a 1% share of the thing. And I'm like, that project's going to fail, right? You don't even have a prototype. Like you need a prototype before you even try to find people. And yeah, it's going to suck because you'd have to stay up all night and do it. But you have to do it that way. Yeah. I think that's one of the things, yeah, that a lot of indie devs, um, yeah, they fail at is they don't find the fun first. And really just like, don't worry about art. Don't worry about uh, the look or anything. Like, what is what is the fun of your game? What is the core mechanic that you can just see and feel? Like, get that right. Like, that and that goes back to the old, you know, uh, Mario Kart. Uh, not Mario Kart. Uh, whatever, Mario 64. Uh, you know, they just had this gray, and this wasn't the first game to do it, but they just, you know, had this sort of gray block out, and they had Mario running around, and, he, and just they figure out all the mechanics, what's fun, what works. Then they figured out all the cool art stuff, and they figured out the level design. Um, I think if you don't do that, it's such a simple thing, but if you don't do it, you're just putting yourself behind the eight ball, and you're almost destined to fail in a way where it's not like, oh, we did our best, and it didn't work out. It was like, no, you you missed a really critical, critical step here. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Mar, you know, Mario is a really funny kind of thing to go back to. I just remember, I think that was probably the first game. I, de- I remember my mom getting me a, a Super Nintendo and having Duck Hunt with like the gun and like yeah, Mario, yeah, yeah. and she would just like shove me in the room and like like my she, we had it in the bedroom because like I'd probably annoy her. She was probably trying to watch her shows at night. Uh, I just remember playing Mario and being so terrible at it. Like I never understood how people could go so far. I was really little. I was probably like. You know, like seven, eight, I don't even know. So my mom would probably tell you I was 10. I have no idea. But I was really bad. <laughs> and, uh, but that really kind of made me angry. And I think that kind of comes back to like my personality now of like, I failed so much at those things. Like, there were games were so hard when you're younger. And I didn't have an older brother, right? It was just me. So it was like, and my mom did not, you know, she might get me the book on how to beat it. And maybe a friend had the book on how to beat it. But man, those games were so hard back then. And nowadays, they just handhold you every day. And I I hate that. I really, I'm a firm believer of not doing tutorials. Like, learn by doing, please. Like, stop handholding everybody because you think it's going to make them... Okay, it does reward you, the the Joe Schmo, by winning. But, like, that isn't going to make you money. That's not going to make your game different. Like... You don't make money by people winning. You make money by people losing and, and trying again. <laughs> yeah, I think if you have a tutorial that's too handholdy, it shows a lack of confidence in the design of your game. 
Yeah. It, it, it's saying that we don't think this is clear enough. We're worried that people won't understand. So we have to absolutely have to hold their hand or they're not going to get it. And if, if, if that's the case, then you're, what are you doing? Yeah. A lot of it's an afterthought, right? Like that, that kind of what you were saying, like not having the idea up front. Uh, like I do, I think we do the opposite where we just don't do tutorials. <laughs> We don't do tutorials at all. We just throw a still image up. <laughs> I'm like, this is your tutorial. Good luck. <laughs> if you can't right. figure it out, reach out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But. And that's that's actually something I'm interested in because you guys are such a small team. How do you do play testing? Um, I, I stay up and play the game like 10 million times. Uh, until but I like externally, myself. though, like if you're getting, if you're trying to get feedback, right? How, yeah. how do you go about that? So... Right now, for, so before what we would do is I would just, you know, push, push it to my friends and family uh, and say, hey, can you play this? And then they would give me really weird feedback because <laughs> they're not all gamers. And it'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't like this color. It should be purple, in my opinion. And I'm like, that's not what I was testing. <laughs> Please stop and focus. Uh, a lot of it is just uh, walking away. Uh, walking away and coming back and then doing it yourself and having your teammates and relatives do it and, and try to decipher that QA testing. Uh, nowadays, we would just hire somebody uh, if we really, you know, if it's a paid project and we have the funding, we're just going to hire a team to help us. But, and, and you can usually do those for pretty cheap, right? Uh, you just have to know how to do that correctly from a development standpoint. Now, I would say for, you know, any dev who's two person deep, um, get your friends and family, but have a list, like hand them a list and be like, only do this for me, please. And then write down an answer or, or email me an answer. Uh, that kind of helps. Um, you have to wear many hats and you have to like be able to take critique. Yeah. It's also tough if you don't have them in the same room, right? Oh man. I, I mean, Cause I'm, I'm in, I'm in Texas and most of my family's in the East coast. So I never really see them, but I mean, they're, the, I guess there's always the opposite too, right? Like you send this to your mom and you're like, hey mom, does this work? And she'll be like, this is the greatest thing you've ever made. And I'm like, that was not constructive feedback. <laughs> like, that doesn't right? help like, me. Thank you, but. No, no, it doesn't. So, you know, I think uh, QA testing, for the most part, we got really, I got really lucky because my co-founder is just a really good developer. I know what we need to do as we go. I QA test as we go, just from the, like, from the unity side um and because we've built out a system that's very modular and i know that it worked a game ago there's rarely a time that the main system is broken it's always just one feature or one new thing one animation that i messed up right that's all it usually is we use a debugger for the most part for qa testing so if there is a problem you click on it and it'll just tell you what the problem is that's what all the all the big boys use. So QA testing is weird because it's like, you know, it's not like, are you product QA testing or are you usability QA testing or are you getting opinions on the art, right? And you have to break those into three silos personally. Um, or, or at least you need to decipher the, in what people are saying back. Um, you know, one good thing that could happen is you, you, you start doing and I hate doing this. I hate doing demos because it, it, it distracts you from the real game. But if you're looking to get use like ideas back, do a demo first. Do a really good polished demo where you spend more time on artwork and, and the core mechanics of the game and just push that out there. And what that'll do is not only one, 
people will give you really good feedback, submit bug reports, stuff like that, have those features in your, in your demo, um, especially if you don't have funding, right? Uh, but then it'll also help you on the marketing side um, just because people will start talking about it early and if they're interested, it, it could hurt you, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it also, if you do have a good idea, it could really help you. Um, but we, we try to stop, I don't like doing demos. I hate doing demos because you spend more time doing the demo than you actually are working on the real game, which like, for the four money bears, we made a demo of that, right? But we have a backend system that we didn't want to include because if someone downloaded our demo, they could just steal our backend because, you know, we don't, and we don't want to do that yet. So we just made a very basic demo for the four money bears. And we did that from the beginning because it was like, all right, we have three months, start to finish demo. And we're using this to then pitch our game right? To try to find funding. And it it served its purpose for what it is. Like, oh, I play a game as a bear and I go and farm and I do these quick things. Like, I think I built the entire UI in a week, like total. And I was just piecing things together. Like the new game, like where we're at now, this was probably six months ago, seven months ago. It looks completely different. It's a completely different system. And, you know, that's... Now when people look at it, they're like, oh, this demo, have you updated it? I'm like, I'm not updating this demo. I'm making the game. Like, we moved yeah. on. Like, mm -hmm. I might just take the demo down just because it's like, no, I'm not going to update that demo. But if it's you by yourself, do I suggest doing it. Because one, you're going to make a demo and, you know, maybe it fails. Maybe, though, someone plays it and says, hey, I'd love to team up with you. Your demo wasn't perfect, but here's where you could have changed it. And this is, you know, I would love to help, right? The, those are the things that I think a lot of indie devs need. Uh, I would always suggest partner with people. It takes the stress off of you. Um, but, you know, kudos to those who don't, you know, do the, the solo, solo devs are usually doing that for passion. They're not doing it for business. And, uh, you know, kudos to that. I think uh, it's that's a hard one, man. Solo yeah, devs. If you is just, can really program, design, and do all the art. Yeah, it takes a special breed. It does. It does. And you know, I mean, like I did that for for years, and I know that my code was mediocre at best, right? But it worked. And man, it took. I think one game would take me like a year to a year and a half from start to finish. And I did small game loops, like I did like Flappy Bird style, right? Like mm -hmm. let's just take a really easy game loop and make it solid. And that's what I spent my time doing. And like. I couldn't imagine, you know, the, the Stardew Valley is a great example. Like the amount of work that guy put into that thing. And I just couldn't even imagine how bad the code was by the end. Because I know my code at the beginning of the year to the end of the year is just so much better. Because you're like, hey, this system broke because I didn't do it this way. Uh, kudos to the, kudos to the, the Concerned Ape guy. Cause that, that game, man, I, that's a treasure right there. Uh, I mean, Harvest Moon's great too, but just the fact that he did it by himself is is pretty cool. So yeah. So let's let's talk more about Four Money Bears because that's that's the big, big thing you guys are working on. Um, it's pretty wild. It's based on a kid's book. It's yeah. uh, and it's all about like you were saying financial literacy. It's like sandbox farming game, right? And it's sort of like you're you're building this farm, but you're learning financial literacy at the same time and you're sort of building a business in a way and you've yeah. got spender bear saver bear investor bear and giver bear and uh you're 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 learning all the different ways to to utilize utilize your funds while you're farming um so how do you balance right the 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 educational side and and the fun yeah 
Yeah, I, I think um, coming from fintech and, and you know you know from my background and connecting with real you know financial planners you know on a on a daily basis or you know monthly basis depending on the job. Um, how, it's it's how do you get financial literacy into layman's terms, right? Uh, and and fun is the dragon that you're chasing because, Lord, like no one wants to learn financial literacy. Like I hate to say it, I'm sorry to everyone out there, they just don't. Like it, yeah, there's gonna be one kid who wants to be an accountant one day or a financial planner, sure, right? Like there's gonna be that one kid, but it's how do you teach something? This is goes for everything, right? How do you teach something to someone who doesn't want to learn it, right? Mm-hmm. It's in in reality, it's changed the educational game model. So, the idea behind the four money bears, you know, it's just a book about four bears teaching teaching these other bears. I almost picture them like the ghost of Christmas past, right? That uh, they're kind of ghosts in this world, uh, teaching them about financial literacy. But in reality. I don't think it's about teaching them because you can only you can only teach so much. It's about doing it. So you have to teach habits instead of just teaching information. Uh, information teaching is great for short-term memory, but if you can build a habit with somebody by playing repetitively, you're you are now giving them you know a lifelong lesson. Uh, think about brushing your teeth like your parents made you do that every single day. If you go and play a game that teaches you financial literacy or habits, every day you're going to form that habit after three weeks. It's just a fact. And the habit maybe now you play video games. <laughs> wow. Like parents would you normally say, hey, my kids already do that. Well, there you go. They already play video games. You know, that's the habit. Uh, now, you know, the Four Money Bears game itself, it's, it's an entrepreneurship, you know, simulator. So... Some of the things we've changed even since we first started is, yeah, there's a ton of farming. It's very Stardew Valley-esque. It's very you know farming-esque, but we're actually adding competitive components into it. So some things that like you know, the kids who don't play Stardew miss is competitiveness. Uh, they want to do other things. They're not into the casual game. They're into Fortnite. They want to go do the you know, I, I hate to say shoot someone, but shoot each other and and hang out and do do that right. We're taking that component to add competitiveness so that, you know, a person, a teacher, a classroom, anyone could go in and compete with each other. That kind of sets it to a different level, right? Where now you have a leaderboard. Now it's who who did the best. And, and doing best in, in our game is not actually, you know, selling the most. It's actually the balance between saving, investing, spending, giving. Right? You have to give. You have to help the community in the game. If you don't do these little aspects of that competition, you're going to fail the competition. Uh, the game itself, how do you fail it? Well, you have to hire workers on your farm because we realize that our scope is... Like, one of the annoying things in Stardew is you have to go and do all these things yourself every single day. And, like, man, like I just I wish someone would just go pick this crop for me, right? We will have it so you hire people. And that game mechanic is going to help you in the entrepreneurship and and understanding payments. Because if you end the week out without being able to pay your employee, they're going to quit. And then you have a downtime. And this is for fourth grade. So you got to understand this is like lower level. But in reality, as they think about it and talk about it, when they're 10, 15, this is what my hope is. You know, 16, 17, they start working at a job. They're going to go, oh, wow, I remember this business aspect from when I played this game. 
right? Or maybe they're still playing it. That would be the that would be amazing. That would be something. but that would be something, right? Uh, I we will work on models modules as we're calling them, but but adding in more middle school level teaching and adding in high school level like loans and 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 deeper college you know stuff, right? Uh, that's down the line. For right now, we're focusing on that fourth grade, and I think every financial advisor will tell you that. Well, okay, not all of them, but most of them should be telling you that the future is the kids. And if you're not teaching financial literacy to kids, you're these financial advisors aren't going to have any people come, you know, 20 years. There's about to be the biggest generational shift in wealth ever in this country from all these older people when they pass away going to the younger you know, generations. And, and most of these financial advisors have never talked to them. Uh, they don't have relationships with these kids. The only way to really grow, you know, people's finance, in my opinion, you know, an old person going and telling you about financial literacy is just not going to work, right? Yeah. In, in schools, like, you know, it. yes, I think it's fine to have a, qu- a quiz, right? I think you can have a quiz to say, did they learn financial literacy? Here's a quiz. Great. Okay. I guess they learned it. But, like, in reality, learning by doing is the only way to do it, and that's how you bring the fun into it and ignoring it so like one one big aspect is the questions and that's we had to build that in there i didn't want to be honest with you i never wanted to do questions at all i didn't want to do quizzes you kind of have to though the more adults we talk to because we have to appease the adults right it's not about the kid the kid would learn by just playing a game right uh i could use oregon trail as an example but the only thing i learned from oregon trail was dying of dysentery and then i learned what dysentery (laughs) was but at the same time, no one said like, "Hey, let's take a quiz. Let's take a quiz about what you learned in Oregon Trail." But so there are questions you, re- you have to answer. There as are a questions. Player. Okay. There are questions, and they're not, but they're not intrusive. So one 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 aspect we did was we looked at like Farmville, for instance. There's a lot of predatory game mechanics in there, um, where if you're out of time, if you want to speed something up, you have to spend money. If you're out of whatever time or you want to do whatever, you have to spend money, spend money, spend money. I took a lot of those mechanics that normally are, you would never want a fourth grader to do. And I actually inserted questions in there. If you want a speed of time in the game, you can just answer a simple financial literacy question based off the quest you're currently on. And that will boost you up. Um, that way there's no microtransactions in this game. And that way also, in my opinion, big AAA studios are not going to copy our model because they're not going to make money on it. (laughs) Right. You know, it's kind of the beating that in my mind, it's like beating the system a little bit, you know, just one, one little thing at a time, uh, that helps. We also are adding something we're calling like event systems. So on, on the back end during, we're calling it a web portal, the parents can log in. Banks can log in, investors can, anyone who owns the code. So someone will buy licenses, let's say your bank, they can offer you a promotion that what that'll mean is they'll run an event and that'll be a five question event that'll pop up on your screen as a player. And if you do it and you already are logged in as, you know, let's say your bank, you, you used a free copy, that's how you're playing. They can give you a reward for doing that. And, and, and answering the questions correctly. And that way it's the bank is coming to say, hey, are you playing the game one, two? I can track that you're doing that. Your financial literacy is looking better. I now have confidence that I'm helping you out, right? Because that's a big due diligence they should be doing no matter what. Go to a bank who wants you to learn finance. That's really important, right? If they're not and they're trying to loan shark, you don't leave that bank. 
they can then send you that event and give you a reward. I mean, just imagine you play a game for free because the bank sponsored you and the bank now gives you money for your checking account as a fourth grader, right? It's a great concept. Uh, so we're kind of adding that. And then it's great for teachers. So it's like we kept getting asked, like we're not shooting for teachers. We don't want the headache of getting into schools. We want to build to that in the future. But like I can't, there's no, it's not sustainable with a team of four right now. And, and you know, we'll, we'll bulk up um, as we develop more into this. But it's just not sustainable to get, to figure out how to get into every school. So we're going to, you know, we're joining where we can to have people who are already in schools help us out. Um, but that's um, that's kind of the, the, the features that we're working on right now. Um, you know, future-wise, I think the Four Money Bears is probably, it's a life dream right now for, for me and, and, and our one of our partners, Matt Gardner. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I mean, me and Mac were looking at the game yesterday. Or it was last week. It was last week. But, you know, Time is irrelevant in a podcast. <laughs> so we were looking at this game, and, and a year ago it was a simple farming simulator with questions. Now it's a competitive farming sim- entrepreneurship and farming simulator with quest-driven systems. Uh, what One of the biggest things we did add is as you play the game, it's based off of if you're a really bad spender and you're a really bad saver, a really bad investor, we pivot the game to force you to learn habits based off of what you're bad at. So as you keep doing better at it, let's say you spend too much, which is what the fourth graders are all going to do, you're going to get all savings quests next. And as you do better in the savings quest, you're going to come back. We're going to tease some save, some spending quests on you so that uh, we try to force you to get back to savings quests and really see if we fix that habit. Could you ruin your farm? Could you like go into bankruptcy and then you got to figure out what yeah. to do at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So what will happen is... You, 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 so think of it this way, like... You'll never have like nothing because it's a farm. Right. You can always, we don't, we're not a seed, we're not a seed driven game. So you don't have to go buy seeds every time. So you'll never be like negative, but you will have negative money. And what'll happen is, is you'll default and all your workers will quit and you have to build from the ground up again. You'll, you'll have the things you've unlocked, but you still have to, you know, you're on a one week buffer now. Right. And you'll have to go back and redo it. And the entire time, the four money bears are just going to like, Right, it's gonna be on your ass. Fun way, like you should have done this. (laughs) This is why you shouldn't have done this. It will probably shove more questions down your throat at that point if you're doing really bad. Uh, But you, no one should be doing that bad, right? right? Like, but you never know. I mean, in reality, like you never know. I'm going to play the game when we get into like serious testing of this. I'm gonna play the game as like the worst person. Yeah. To to make sure that if you are the worst, we are one always explaining why you're doing it wrong. And it may just be repetitive. It may be the same question pop up and it's going to annoy people. And unfortunately, there is that saying, right? Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't expect everyone in the world to learn financial literacy off of this, but I want them to try. Yeah. Because I think, you know, passion project wise, like this could change lower income kids for the better hopefully yeah. is what we really are hoping for so so uh we're we're doing what we can but yeah you can totally fail you can also do really well like a lot of, i'm we're doing commodities trading in it so as you sell your berries let's say you have blueberries for instance it's like the base berry when you look at when you commodities trading you look one year one year back which would be four 
real days, seven hours, if you played seven hours a day, which that's intense, you should be able to see what the berry price is and guess if it's going up or down. Very basic, right? Is this blueberry, if I wait till the winter time and sell the blueberry, the blueberry are worth three times the amount because blueberries can't grow in the winter time. But if I need to make quick money, I could follow that stock in a sense, that chart and say, hey, the price looks like it's going up. So I'm going to wait till tomorrow. And then it went up one more dollar. And now I'm going to sell. So I made an extra dollar, right? That's how we're going. That's how we're approaching it. So you kids will learn the stock market. Well, everyone will learn the stock market because it's not we're focusing on fourth graders, but uh, it should be anyone. Well, that's really cool. I think also with just the negative feedback loop there, it's like you don't get really bailed out or anything. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I think, um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's bad to say, but like th there's a lot of media geared towards kids now, I feel like, that don't really discuss the harsh realities of life and what, you know, what can happen if you make bad decisions or like there's no consequences, Yeah, you know, sort of thing. Or like, you know, you should just expect to be good at something because you're you kind of deal. Participation um, trophies. Right, right. And, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's just not realistic. You don't have to make it like the, the, the harshest thing in the world. But I think what you guys are doing there is cool because, like, uh, you know, you can learn a lesson from failing, right, like we were talking about earlier. And yeah. you can get yourself out of it. But you got to get yourself out of it. Um, the game isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to bail you out. So I think that's, that's a really great... Um, yeah. great idea. And I love that the four bears are just going to give you shit for it. And they're just going to be like, well, you shouldn't have done this. This is what you should have done. And then, you, you know, you might hate that initially as a kid, but you know, if you, if you stick with it and learn and can, can rally and rebound, then that's, that's a lesson that you don't, you don't get in a lot of games at all. You, you don't, I almost picture it like, like, it's not going to be like negative, negative. It'll be like this positive negative reinforcement right <laughs> like hey you should have done this with a bear with a really grumpy looking face right <laughs> talking to you right right like if you would have done that you wouldn't have had these issues right yeah yeah I, fail forward is fail forward approach I, I i guess i don't know when in life i started doing it but I, it has been my personal passion uh it, it just if you're not scared to fail, then you can beat life. And that's how I'm hoping through this game, you know, we can kind of teach a little bit of that as well, right? Uh, some people are very sensitive and I, and I and you respect that. And I think, you know, that's fine in its own right. But I think if you're trying to learn something that's super important, like financial literacy, uh, you should be a little hard on it. You should yeah. make it challenging. Don't, yeah. don't pretend like this is easy. There's a reason why there's not a, everyone's not a millionaire. Right, right. right. Yeah. Got to have a little aggression when you're playing this Berryville game. And that's why we added, honestly, that's also why we added the competitiveness because that will, it changes the way that a kid thinks about it. They should start thinking about it money by about money, not about, you know, ooh, I want to grow berries and strawberries next thing. Now that's part of it because you can only unlock berries for each season on that season. So you have to wait an entire game year which would be, you know, four days to then use that berry that you just unlocked. Mm -hmm. It's forcing the kid to say, hey, if I wait, then I will get to use this next time. Forward thinking, number one, right? You really want that forward thinking approach because a lot of kids, especially me, I did this. My mom will tell you, I literally could not keep my attention when I was in fourth grade. So you can keep them thinking about a week from now. That's number one in finance, forward thinking. Then if they fail, what did I do wrong? Right. One thing, I don't even think I've talked about this. So at the end of each week, which would be a game year, we have a report 
that in game you get as a kid. Those reports will show you, you know, how did your berry market do? Here's what your sales were. Here's what your costs were. This is the loan you paid back. Uh, from there, it'll say this is how your farm is. Like here, think about the workers that you hired. Like the the idea would be you can hire some lower workers or some better workers. They will perform a certain way. Uh, we'll make it challenging so that you may pay a little more for another worker and he does a little bit better, but was that financially worth it? You'll have to decide, right? Because it may be better just to have him produce one berry a day if that's what it is, right? Uh, those things then let you go back and track your progress because that is the only way to know if you did well, right? There is no other financial literacy tool out there that's actually letting you track your own progress to see how you did and how you're going against there may be leaderboards but honestly like they're not they're just this is how you did leaderboard wise it's not analyzing everything and saying hey your behavior is leaning a little bit more towards the spending let's try to pivot right your quests are now going to be about savings and telling you why the other piece this big aspect this is like what mac is really passionate about we have to the reason why we added these quote unquote quests, we're adding these like connections to teachers and quizzes and everything. You have to be able to connect this to the real world. Now the game will have obvious connections to the real world, but giving a teacher, giving a parent, giving, you know, anyone who wants to teach financial literacy, the moment and the ability and the material to connect Berryville to the real world that kind of seals the deal of the whole package. That's that's the dragon we're trying to chase, right? So you don't just, you play a game for fun. You then track how you do. You analyze it. You see, as a fourth grader, how, how am I doing personally? Then someone else who is knowledgeable can say, hey, let's look at how you did versus everyone else. And these are the things you should work on and why. And this is how you connect it to the real life. Uh, you know, you want to do a berry stand. This is the same as a lemonade stand, right? Etc. So, you know, there, there's so many concepts of connecting to real world. Um, that's, that is going to be a really fun aspect to see. I'd love to see, me and Mac were talking about this, throwing like real life contests as the game launches to have, you know, who has the best business, the real business, like that they started in real life based off of playing the four money bears uh, and have competitions about that in real life uh, with prizes and stuff. It would be really fun to see. Um I'm excited about that kind of stuff for the future. Yeah, and I think that's cool too to sort of have this uh, parent or teacher or whatever can can get involved, right? And it's not such an isolated thing with the kid, is that you can really yeah. see if the kid's learning one hundred percent beyond them just playing the game. Yeah, that's a good idea. And what about the bank partnership you're talking about or whatever, where it's like the bank? So, so yeah, one aspect of the game, you know, yeah. So okay, so normal game development, right? Normal game development is B2C. You're going direct to consumer. You hope people pick it up. You hope media hypes it up. You hope, you know, you, sp you spend, you know, a ton of money in marketing. Well, for us, we want to connect with people, anyone who is really interested in teaching financial literacy that is not a school. Because one, the schools don't have the money. Let's just be honest here. They're not going to have to get into every school is going to be a pain. Schools don't have that much money to come in and buy a license for everything. The biggest partners who really want people to teach or to learn financial literacy are going to be bank institutions. They are the ones who would benefit the most of everyone understanding finances correctly because there would be more money. <laughs> it's right. Like right. that's the thing they should want. That's why I said earlier, like 
you banks should want you to learn financial literacy. We want to have partnerships with banks like that. We want them to share our values, right? And, and it doesn't have to be a bank. It could be a debit card. It could just be a credit card. It could be whatever. Uh, but the way we're setting these up is that they can buy company licenses for this and give this to all users for free. So one, it's like, you know, a bit of a white labeling aspect to this. So if you do sign in with your bank's code for free, it's going to say brought to you by this bank and you can connect your account to it, right? So if you go and do whatever, it could be a debit card, whatever. And that way the bank can give rewards to you. But hey, you did you did these aspects, these quests. Here's your, you know, here's your real money $5 reward, whatever a bank would want to do uh, or a giveaway oh, or cool. whatever. It'll give them a chance to have events. Uh, it's a really good marketing tool um, just because it's you're giving this for free to kids who then would want, if they remember you, your bank, that literally just gave me this game as a kid and I learned finance from it, you're going to have a, a, a customer for life, right? Because they're going to trust you. And that's, you know, that's, that's more important, I think, for banks these days. It's hard to find a bank you trust. <laughs> a, you know, those two words go together, right? Uh, especially if a person is not financially literate and they don't have a lot of money, they're going to hate their bank. <laughs> they're just going to hate it. Imagine, though, if you, it would be a really cool system. And I'm not saying we're building it right now, but this is like, you know, dreams of ours. Imagine you could play our game, even as an adult, do a few questions, you know, you know, do it, do whatever you can within Berryville, go to your bank and then actually get approved for a loan because you can prove your score, right? That would be awesome. That would be game changing. Uh, it, it, you know, we're, 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 that's not a launch thing. But that could be a future, could be a really awesome feature to change to to change these things. So we're we're really looking for partnerships, in that aspect. Um, and we've been doing that since day one. You know, I think we're not you know fully 100% funded. We did a Kickstarter that was great, um, but we've been approached by a lot of people like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll help fund you or whatever. And it's, do you share the same values as us first and foremost, right? Uh, I think that's we're looking for true partnerships here that that really share our values. We're ground up, you know, from the roots. You know, Mac made this kid's book. He's been he's been pushing it for, for for a while. Man, I don't even remember when he made. It. I think it was ten years now, six years now. And once again, I feel like I keep going back to six to ten. Um, and, and he's built this platform because he, he really does truly care. So, for us, this game is is bigger than just making a few money deals. But from a money standpoint, from from a selling standpoint, we're trying to be not only B two C but also B two B. Um, and give benefits to, to people who, who use our system. A lot of other businesses do it. We're just trying to be a little different where it actually integrates into that, that system and so that they can see, hey, maybe, maybe this one zip code, when they look at all the data, especially for a bank, they could say, hey, we gave all these kids this data and all of them did really bad. We should do some financial literacy um, pro bono stuff and go into these areas, YMCA, community centers, and start teaching as well, bring the Berryville material with us and keep pushing the, the game on kids to try to get them to play because most likely they're not playing, they come from a rougher area, and, and their parents aren't supporting them. Uh, I'm really hoping that's where, you know, that'll help give some shed some light and data and into places that we can help the community out. Um, we got to practice what we preach. Yeah, we got to pra practice what you preach. You can't you can't have giving giving in the game and not 
And me and Matt can't sit here and say, hey, you know, we're just doing this for profit. Like, you no, know, it's altruistic what you guys are, are trying to do in that, that aspect of it. It's really, it's really cool. I haven't really seen or heard of, of a game, especially because you guys are just, this is a mobile game, right? This is like on iPhone, iPad, Android, et cetera. We, we haven't decided 100%. On, okay. on where we're launching but it does it works on ipad it works on android and it works on mobile pc as well like it already does that so we'll probably launch on on mac pc uh ipad I, the game is really hard to design uh for mobile because it is a very similar farming game you need more touch screen in a sense um but we're gonna we're gonna add like you know controllers so we'll launch on xbox playstation and switch as well but cool that'll be after uh yeah i I, I we need to do that's that's where research comes in right like like uh we're gonna start researching soon like what is the device a kid uses the most when they get home is it an ipad or is it a phone or is it you know a console right Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a hard one because i feel like there's so many out there but we'll we'll definitely be on pc um and mac uh yeah although you know do most people use Steam or do most people use Google Play Store when they're on PC? I'm not um I'm not sure on those answers yet. So I think it sort of just depends on the persona. Right. Right? Because I could see, you know, I could see kids potentially being on Steam, but maybe some kids don't know about Steam yet. I don't know. That's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's a project you guys are gonna have to you're gonna have to figure that one out. Yeah. These are those uh, you know, UX research rabbit holes i always end up going down like we need to figure this out uh we do have a so we did have a kickstarter i you know i would highly suggest any indie dev out there trying to that doesn't have the funds that that really you know wants to see if they can do it do a kickstarter the the one aspect i love of it is the community we build from it we we have you know I don't really know the number, 100 plus people that, that donated to our Kickstarter. Those are all willing people to answer questions for us, do some research with us, right? Uh, and that's hard to find. Usually people have to pay for that, um, especially bigger companies, right? So I would highly suggest, you know, indie dev, you know, you don't have to do Kickstarter. You can do whatever style, but, but crowdfunding can help, especially if you get out there and you talk to people and you show them your game and they really like it, it would be a really good idea. Uh, yeah, what's the key? What was the key there? Cause you guys had a pretty successful Kickstarter from what's out there. $32,000 raised out of a $25,000 goal. So definitely successful. So what, what were the things you guys did to really make that work? Because you hear all the time, do a Kickstarter, do a Kickstarter. But so many Kickstarters fail because they don't market it properly or don't know what they're really getting into. So what was the key to success for you guys? Uh, if you do do a Kickstarter, give yourself at least three months of marketing, like insanity, before you launch the Kickstarter. You need to have an entire strategy behind that. Now, if you can, just pay somebody to do that for you, right? That would be the easiest way because uh, we spent, I spent hours, I spent 12-hour days setting up the, the Kickstarter strategy for that. Um, we had a weird one because half of our people should have been financial planners. Uh, so obviously financial planners would have won, you know, if they like the idea and they know us and, and, and they're interested, they would have, you know, they donated, right? So we, we already had an in, uh, our co-founder, uh, you know, partner in this Mac, he, you know, he has a great following on LinkedIn. So we had a little bit different of a Kickstarter. Now, if you're just a generic game and you have no following, you're already under, like you're already behind. It's gonna be challenging. Uh, so you need to be posting, start posting social, 
before you get there. Try to get a following built. It's really not that expensive to promote posts. You know, you should, I would obviously highly suggest like have a job that helps bring in some money. (laughs) Do something to bring in some money so that you can pay for the advertising because that is also really important. I mean, just having people put eyes in front of it, it costs money. Um, and, and promoting is not that expensive though. Like you can get it connected through friends. So if one person starts liking your Twitter, whatever, then people that, that like their Twitter could start seeing that your stuff as well. Um, mark, you know, marketing is a, is a beast in its own. I mean, that's why there's so many agencies out there, but, uh, you know, I, I think you should put, if you're going to do a Kickstarter, you should put that first before you even build the game. You need a marketing strategy before you even decide. We already decided. We started the, I'm going to try to break this down as quickly as I can. I would say May or March of 2021, we came up with the idea. We took about two or three months to kind of strategize what the game is, right? We had other projects we were working on. Around the summertime is when the art started and we really fleshed out what we were going to do. And this whole time we were saying we were going to do a Kickstarter probably uh, to try to raise funds. And we knew that if December hit and we didn't have enough funding, we were going to plan to have a Kickstarter. That was always the plan from day one, right? So that's really important because I knew this was coming. So every time we made it, any game asset, hey, what could we use for quick, you know, what's the what's the visual style of this? Give me some marketing images. Give me anything. So take a storyboard and literally just paint it as clean as it can go. That was super, super, super important. So then by the time March came, I can't even remember when we launched Kickstarter. I think we did it April 1st, around March to the end of April. Financial Literacy Month is in April. We launched that Kickstarter and had just enough people, you know, interested and a few big donors that that we know, right? Like that's also really important. And, and Kickstarter will even tell you that, like, go to your family and say, hey, this is when you need to donate and you need to donate this amount of money if you can, right? Like a thousand bucks just so that you get that bump. You need to raise money every day. Um, th- those are hard, man. I, well, I would do it again once we had more of a following too but Mm -hmm. man i didn't sleep during or after for a while i I spent probably three months just dying Uh, yeah no it sounds exhausting and that's that's not even like developing the game it's just getting the word out yeah Yeah. and if you're not marketing savvy like try to find a company that is try to find a a kickstarter company there's plenty of them out there and, and they'll tell you flat out like hey i think this is successful or this is not and that's a really good um way of judging it to be honest with you if they think it's successful and they want to take it on then you have a really good chance of winning uh, or funding yourself um, but even if even if you don't then maybe you can learn something to make it more marketable and then yeah. come back when you're ready i mean it's kickstarter is crazy too like to think about it board games don't even really get created by the time they go into kickstarter like board games are for production like you go to kickstarter for production and mass production You've already mm-hmm. made a board game and it looks like this thing, this one prototype you made, which was not a heavy lift. The game design was, is what the heavy lift is, right? And then it's like, you look, at a, you look at a video game, you have to have the video game done to even just have a Kickstarter so that you have a demo. Because with, without a demo, you're likely to fail, right? It, yeah. it, it's kind of wild. Like you have to finish, 
Like people expect a finished game to look at in a demo to then say, oh, they're going to they're going to make this game successful. But in reality, it's like you need like way more money to actually finish this thing. So mm-hmm. um, it's a challenge. I think every every game is different as well. So that's the other thing. You know, you have to talk to people about it. Don't just sit there by yourself and last minute go, I'm going to do a Kickstarter, but not tell every single person you've ever met and ask their right. opinion about it. <laughs> so switching back to the, the game design side of things, take me through a little bit of a UI journey for this game. UI, UX, you know, how are you making this this world for the player to start to learn these lessons and start to enjoy the enjoy the game? Yeah, yeah. Um... I don't have like a game design background. I don't know if anyone really like does like, like how does someone game design? I think was always the question I had. Cause there's not like a tutorial like, Oh, when you game design, you should do this. Yeah. There's right? definitely not like one right way to do it. I don't think. No, I actually do the entire game design in like a document, a Google doc. Mm-hmm. Right. I figure out the entire user flow. I'll do flow charts. Uh, and then I'll add an artwork, right? Like I'll go and start doing concept art, um, that kind of works on that. The, a farming game with a quest system, like once you decide, hey, I'm going to do a quest system, right? You have to, from a game design, from a user's standpoint, like you have to first go and say, all right, this quest is, for quest number one is going to be this. We're going to like, you know, add in some tutorial in there, right? That's the, the beginning of it. Like, do we want to do tutorial? Do we not? How are we going to add that in there? Our systems are really simple, so they're not hard. It would just it could easily just be someone telling you, "Hey, this is it. Here's a still image of how you do a crop." Uh, from my aspect, that pre-production, that pre-planning, is so important that I have it pretty much figured out for a basic game loop of a quest system, how that works in the game, based off of the scripts we had built before that I know my developer, you know, is going to use. So. We have a dialogue system that built into our quest system. I have that all written. I literally have it written out. It'll say like, you know, you know, bear one, spinder bear one, quest one. And then from there, I'll, I'll draw, I'll write out my ideas of what's happening in a full list that, that coincides with a flowchart. Uh, I always suggest doing user flowcharts. User flowcharts help me start out from a UI standpoint and, and like the user standpoint what do they need to do before I actually build any UI artwork? And especially in a game like this, like, cause we, I like to be minimal and I always end up being overly minimal because I have to add things, but that'll help a ton, especially I'm a visual guy. I don't need to actually like mentally it's all in my head and I can just, I know where it needs to be and I can articulate it now of where it should look like by just drawing it or, you know, talking with one of my artists uh, the user's flow, the journey of them, that comes from me adding all these things together, right? So I first start with, I know we're making a farming game. Here are all the scenes I'm going to need. Here are all the places we're going to have. Here's kind of what they look like in my head. Uh, here's the here's a generic quest. It'll probably be like this. This is the system we generically built. Uh, is there flexibility? Yes or no, right? Like you really got to figure those out because uh, you don't want to, you want to be able to be creative. You want to create tools to help you be creative, especially on the, the game dev side uh, and not limit you, but then you also have your own limitations. Like you have to have that to get the game done. From there, that user's flow, I start early and I just kind of come up, the user has to do this first. 
these are the checklists I have to hit. And I start that at like, you know, week two of coming up with an idea. Uh, I pretty much have them. I've done this before, so I kind of have a generic checklist I kind of go through in my head. Uh, this one was fun just because it started as a generic farming game, and I and we knew the whole time, like, hey, we need to make this better. We just haven't had a chance. So I started generic farming game demo. Done, right? Now let's destroy to make it freaking awesome. Uh, demo is out of the way. Uh, that is a... Uh, like I said earlier, demos are a pain. I, I don't suggest doing them unless you really know you don't have the resources to launch a full game. Uh, our demo hurt us in a sense of I couldn't do all the game design elements I normally would do up front. So I had to do, okay, quest systems built, light dialogue system. Like The dialogue system is broken in my opinion. Just we, you know, It was good enough. Launch it for the demo. Fine. We want, I want a little bit more flexibility in it as we go forward. And from there, it was like, all right, is, are these loops working? Yes. Okay, great. So we'll have side quests, we'll have main quests, and that's how the game's built for this game. Is it fun for the user? That's the hardest. That is probably the single hardest one. <laughs> that, uh, that is the one where you doubt yourself harder than anything. That is where you bring somebody else in. If you feel like it's fun, if you don't feel like it's fun, walk away for a bit, have someone else, walk them through what you're thinking it is, ask them if they think it's fun. Most likely, if you go tell your mom, they're going to tell you that she thinks it's fun and you should move on, right? Like, get some positive reinforcement. Who cares if it's constructive? Just get someone to be like, you got this. Don't quit yet because you're in that slump. Uh, <laughs> that definitely happens a lot. I, I think I guess myself. I second guess myself on everything we do, which is which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then there's the confidence of moving past that, like questioning yourself, right? <laughs> how, yeah. How much does that, how much do your like plans before you actually get into the game change once you start like actually getting into 100%. the game? 100%. Yeah. Every freaking, every freaking damn time. And this is why you keep documents. So if you, if you do, um, I use my two biggest things are Google Documents. That's just easy, it's free. And then this um, one platform that's free that you can connect through your Google, Google Doc called. Uh, doc.io um, that has been really helpful it's like it's like a chart a flow chart maker I probably work in that more than anything mm -hmm. because as I as I work a system out I'll realize oh my gosh this isn't going to work with the way that you know Evan my developers building this out and instead of saying hey Evan change everything you're doing because this is the standard game design way to do it I just change myself Right, so that given that balance between the two, um, that it, that has helped us so much. I'm also a forgetful person. I'm not gonna lie. I, I totally am. I will say this is a game design mechanic, and the loop is this early on. <laughs> and if I don't write it down in that stupid chart, I'll forget it. I'll I'll, I'll be like, I don't remember that. Uh, we had this, we had this one game we're working on right now, like a really really quick overhaul. And I could not for the life of me remember what the heck we were doing with the heart system. We have this hearts that. If you fail, you know, you lose a heart. Very standard. And I was like, how are we supposed to refill this again? I do not remember for the life of me. And it's because I didn't write it down, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Like, write everything down. Yeah. Even if you think you remember everything, write everything down. Sit it, write it. Uh, and it's funny enough, I actually have a, I have an iPhone. So I just use, I use my iPhone notes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I have so many game design aspects in that that then if i'm at the bar which is usually when it happens or like i wake up in the middle of the night which is always like the witching hours when the ideas come flowing in uh i just sit there and write them down really quick 
right? And then the next day I try to decipher it. Uh, so that's a that's a challenge in its own. Um, I would highly suggest never being happy. Like like don't ever say, I think I figured this design out. I'm done, right? Be open to change and and always change because as long as you're cool with that. One, you're going to drop the ego on the project. The project will then become more of a collaborative piece with the artist, with, with the developer. Everyone's open. You lose the ego. It's, you know, I'll say, I have this game design idea. Here's the idea. Everyone will be like, eh, okay, whatever. That's a stupid idea. And as I work on that idea and I realize, hey, this is, why is it stupid? This, oh, this is what I need to change. Holy cow. Like it opens up avenues that you just didn't think about before. Um, Collaboration is the most important. It really is. Have a weekly stand-up. Totally an agile thing to say. I'm sorry. Have a weekly stand-up and just talk to the developer, all your partners. Even talk to your friends. Say, hey, can I pitch you this idea? Even if it's in an infancy. If everyone starts selling, selling you the game looks great, it's probably a decent game, mm -hmm. right? As long as it's not mom, because mom will always tell you it's great. So go and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. These, these, these are what I'm trying to solve. Come up with an elevator pitch, right? Uh, I start elevator pitch idea. Here are some of the things that are different in the market. Create the game design user flow. Uh, then I usually get stuck in, is this game even fun? Then everyone tells me, you know, stop being so depressed about it. Move <laughs> on. And then, and then I make it a better game, right? We figure out what's wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. So uh, I, I think user's experience, I love user experience though. Like I am left-handed and I, every time I go to open a door, it annoys me because I want to open it with my left hand, but they're always right-handed. Uh, and it kills my wife because whenever I build a door, which, which I love woodworking and crafting and stuff, you put it yeah, on the other side. I, the door on, I put it on the other oh, side. Oh hell yeah! And she was I'm so a mad too, that I told her. So. <laughs> look, look. Okay. In my defense, if you if you open the door with the right hand on the way I built the shed, I built the door on the right side of the shed, and on the left side is a window. And because I built it that way, if you open the door the normal way, the door would fly out and probably break off the hinges because it's only supported by one corner. Mm -hmm. But if it's supported by the left side. Then when the wind blows uh, and it tries to rip it off the hinges, it at least has supported by the entire structure. That's how I justified it in my head. Um, she knows it's because I'm left-handed, but still, <laughs> like, it's fine. Uh, I think being left, this is really random, but being left-handed has definitely forced me in my life to think of things a little differently. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, I mean, do you remember growing, you said you're just left-handed, yeah. like, always growing up everyone yelled at me because i'm smearing the ink on the page. yes and i didn't just trying to use a stupid yeah like, i can't draw yeah like i'm sorry right i have to smear it you know like, i didn't it just i didn't understand why that happened like i really didn't get yeah. it like even though i saw that it was my hand i'm like why does that happen i was like yeah why, why is that not happen to anybody else as i am this is a bunch of bullshit yeah. <laughs> and then i realized oh it's because yeah, you're it dragging your hand along so i also like because of that i had this like challenge of like never having a glove playing baseball. Someone's playing like little league, uh, like yeah. little little league when everyone's terrible at baseball. Mm -hmm. No one, the coach would come with like a nasty like bag full of sweaty mitts, and none of them were for lefties. No, no right-handed glove, right? So you had, I had to start throwing with my right hand. So I just became like, I just decided young if I was ever going to succeed, I had to be ambidextrous. I thought that was a cool thing, like, oh, you could do both. Like that's even cooler than just being left-handed. So. 
I just try, like, just try it. Just, just focus on it and fail and do better. And, and, and it's fine. Uh, I, I think my developer's left-handed too. Uh, we were originally going to call ourselves like something with left in it. And then, uh, and then we just didn't, but you know, I think left-handed is a, I think it's a, it's a great thing. Do you actually know why as there's an NPR, uh, podcast about left-handed people that you should go check out if you're into that okay um, yeah i definitely will but it's really it's really interesting look up like i won't ruin it for you but i thought it was like one of the most interesting things uh ever of this guy went out to south america and, and to like the amazon and, and found groups of, of native people out there that some tribes were left-handed and and, and the story is like why right like really, like why would there be random left-handed people in history? Uh, so I won't I won't answer it for you. you should go go Google that and find it. But uh, it was really, really awesome. So my mind works that way. I like to figure it out. I like I like that user's experience. Like a user, a user's experience goes into everything. Yeah. I mean, literally, just just walking into a building. What is the first thing you see? That is literally a user's experience. And my wife hates me saying it. She's like, can you please stop saying that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to stop saying, oh, that, that was a bad experience yeah. for me. Well, I, know, I, I, I do the same thing. I noticed uh, we were out of town for a wedding, and there's this elevator that we were using. You had to hold your key card on like a, a thing in the elevator and hit the button at the same time for the elevator to move. And I was like, why do you have to do that? It's the I dumbest thing I've ever heard. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm like, this is the dumb. Like, whoever created this. Yeah. Probably had a solution first, and then was like, "I'm throwing a key card in here later." Yeah, screw it. Yeah, I was I like, "This care. is a poor UX," and people looked at me like, "What?" And I was like, "User experience. Like, this is a user experience, on, and it sucks." And then they roll your eyes, right? Eyes. Like, right? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, it is." You guys just don't get it. I can really appreciate a good UI artist. I really, I really do. Because um, the thought that has to go behind it, it, it is so thankless when you do have really good design, like. Holy cow, when, when it's like just a simple menu and you get it and you know where it is, no one realizes that someone, someone figured that out at some point, right? Yeah. And who knows how many hours it took him to get to that point, Yeah. right? That's like a lot the, of it can be... That's the best experience though, yeah. right? Because that's like uh, an offensive lineman in football. You shouldn't even have to notice it. It just works yeah. and you don't think it about it. It just works. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I think developers are the same way, right? You know, back, especially back ends, like... Uh, QA people, uh, they're they're all it's all thankless parts of the job that that uh, whatever the mean I would say the mean consumer <laughs> of games doesn't really care about. They just want their their stuff now the way they want it. Right. But uh, it's a thankless thing. Yeah. So much work goes into that stuff. Well, Ryan, uh, this is fun, man. It was it was great talking about uh, your work and and uh, Berryville game. Can you uh, tell the listeners out there where they can find out more about about your game and maybe when it's going to ship? Yeah, you can um, look on the themoneybears.com or on our website, dillointeractive.com. Um, we're hoping to have something Q2 of next year, but it could be pushed you know, further. Uh, so be on the lookout there. You can sign up for a newsletter, learn more. Cool, sounds good. Best of luck with development. It's a really, it's a highly ambitious title and um, hope you guys stick the landing and... Uh, achieve everything you want to achieve with it. It's, it's a really, really cool project. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, that's going to wrap up our show. We want to thank Ryan for being our guest for this episode. 
To find out more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com where you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud. Thank you.